bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2016. This week marks 42 years since the creation of the Section 8 Rental Assistance Program by that Community Development Act of 1974. That bill was introduced February 27, 1974 by Democratic Senator John Sparkman of Alabama and was signed into law by President Gerald Ford on August 22, 1974. Since then, the Section 8 program has become a staple of federal housing assistance. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, more than 2.2 million low-income families use vouchers. Now, moving on to this week's podcast, we'll start off with the general news section, where I'll discuss the results of the South Carolina Republican presidential primary and the Nevada Democratic caucuses and what they could mean for the tax credit community. In our low-income housing tax credit section, I'll share news about fiscal year 2016 allocations through HUD's Public Housing Capital Fund. Then, I'll talk about a recent report on the challenges faced by low- and moderate-income working renter households. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I'll talk about the availability of fiscal year 2016 funding for the CDFI program and the Native American CDFI Assistance Program. I'll also have a reminder about the upcoming deadline to submit nominations for the Novogratz Community Development Individual Achievement Awards. Then, in our historic tax credit section, I'll share what leaders of the National Park Service and the National Conference of State Historic Preservation Officers had to say about a bill that would reauthorize the Historic Preservation Fund for another 10 years. And we'll close out with renewable energy tax credit news, where I'll discuss recent comments made by energy industry groups about the potential use of renewable energy tax credits for facilities that store but don't produce electricity. If you're ready... Let's get started. In general news, South Carolina held its Republican primary on Saturday, and Nevada had its Democratic caucuses on Saturday as well. As you've likely heard, Donald Trump dominated South Carolina's Republican primary. Technically, South Carolina is not a winner-take-all state. However, the winner of the statewide vote does get all of the statewide delegates, and the winner of each congressional district can win delegates as well. As it so happens, Trump won statewide and every congressional district. So Trump gets all 50 of the state's delegates, with 32.5% of the votes. Second-place candidate Marco Rubio came in at 22.5% of votes, and Ted Cruz was not far behind Rubio with 22.3%. All the other Republican candidates, Jeb Bush, John Kasich, and Ben Carson were far behind. Both Kasich and Carson each garnered less than 8% of the votes. After the poor showing, Bush announced on Saturday that he was dropping out of the race. The remaining Republican candidates move on to compete at the Nevada Republican caucuses today. At stake for the GOP contenders are 30 Nevada delegates. And unlike South Carolina, Nevada will award its Republican delegates proportionally. Now, speaking of Nevada... 
Hillary Clinton came out on top in the state during Saturday's Democratic caucuses. Clinton won 19 of the state's delegates after earning 52.6% of the votes. Her rival, Bernie Sanders, walked away with 15 delegates and 47.3% of votes. Clinton and Sanders will go head-to-head this Saturday at the Democratic primary in South Carolina. For the latest news on the presidential race, please follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Novogratik. And be sure to check out my notes from Novogratik blog to learn more about the affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy tax credits in each of the primary and caucus states. South Carolina and Nevada state profiles are now available. In affordable housing news, HUD this month announced that it will allocate more than $1.8 billion to public housing authorities in fiscal year 2016 through its capital fund program. Funding allows public housing authorities to make needed capital improvements. Unlike routine maintenance, capital needs are extensive and expensive. They're needed to keep housing economically sustainable and in good physical shape. Examples of improvements include new roofs, updated plumbing, and energy-efficient upgrades. In this year's funding round, public housing authorities that received allocations are located in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. All in all, more than 3,100 public housing authorities will receive capital fund grants for fiscal year 2016. By far, the state with the largest allocation is New York, with more than $370 million in combined funding granted for 82 of the state's public housing authorities. The New York City Housing Authority will receive nearly $320 million of the state total. Next on the ranking of largest state allocations is Pennsylvania, where 79 public housing authorities will share nearly $115 million in funding. Illinois is close behind, with $113 million earmarked for 99 housing authorities. Puerto Rico ranked fourth on the list, and Puerto Rico only has one awardee. The Puerto Rico Public Housing Administration's allocation accounts for all $105 million of funding that will go to Puerto Rico. And Ohio comes in fifth, with an amount of nearly $74 million for 51 housing authorities. If you want to learn more about the Capital Fund Program, please contact my partner, Susan Wilson, in our Austin, Texas office. In other news, a recent report by the Center for Housing Policy found that it is increasingly difficult for working households to find and rent affordable housing. Rental housing costs increased by more than 6% for working renters between 2011 and 2014. While it's true that median household incomes also increased in that time frame, Median rents in many metro areas climb faster than incomes. This means that those renter households are spending a larger portion of their paychecks on housing every month. Across the country, one in four working renter households is severely housing cost burdened, meaning they spend more than half of their income on rent. The statistics are even bleaker for the nation's lowest income households. Nearly four out of five extremely low-income households or those earning 30% or less of their median income, are severely cost-burdened. The report's findings all point to the reality that there is a severe shortage of affordable rental housing in the country. And that's where the Long-Income Housing Tax Credit, the Home Investment Partnerships Program, and the Community Development Block Grant Program come into play. The report called these and other federal policies critical for helping address the affordable housing crisis. But as the Center for Housing Policy noted, 
those programs lack sufficient funding to meet the growing needs for more affordable rental housing. The report is entitled Housing Landscape 2016, an annual look at the housing affordability challenges of America's working households. You can find a copy of the report at www.taxcredithousing.com. In community development news, the CDFI Fund last week opened the 2016 funding round for the CDFI program and the Native American CDFI Assistance Program. Total funding is nearly $200 million, all going to community development financial institutions to help them serve low-income communities. The CDFI program invests and builds the capacity of CDFIs to serve low-income people and communities that lack access to affordable financial products and services. That program will award $153 million to CDFIs this year. The money will help CDFIs and emerging entities work toward CDFI certification, which builds their capacity as lending institutions. The Native American CDFI Assistance Program, or NACA, is designed to encourage the creation and strengthening of CDFIs that primarily serve Native communities. The NACA program will grant $15.5 million in awards this year. That money will go to help serve a wide range of institutions in all stages. In addition, the CDFI fund will grant $22 million in Healthy Food Financing Initiative assistance. Those grants will supplement CDFIs in the CDFI program and the NACA program that want to expand their healthy food-focused financing activities. Now, I should note, allocations from the Healthy Food Finance Initiative are often used in conjunction with New Markets Tax Credits. The CDFI Fund said that the New Markets Tax Credit can help generate larger amounts of capital that can be invested in larger-scale healthy food projects. The deadline to submit applications for the CDFI program and the NACA programs is April 18th. Go to CDFI Fund website for application materials And if you have questions about applying, please contact my partner, Diana Lessinger, in our Long Beach, California office. In other news, there's only one week left to submit nominations for the Novogratic Community Development Individual Achievement Awards. The awards honor those who have advanced new market tax credit policies and legislative priorities and have had an established impact on the field of community development. Categories are Federal Legislator of the Year, State Legislator of the Year, and Public Executive of the Year. Nominations are due next Tuesday, March 1st. And you can find more information at www.novoco.com. In historic tax credit news, I have an update on a bill that would reauthorize the Historic Preservation Fund through the year 2025. Established in 1976, 40 years ago, the Historic Preservation Fund gives individuals, communities, local and state governments, and federal agencies necessary tools for historic preservation. The Historic Preservation Fund supports the state historic preservation offices in each state, territory, and the District of Columbia. The fund also helps organizations and communities with nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. Authorization for the Historic Preservation Fund expired September 30, 2015. Historic preservation advocates are hard at work trying to bring it back through a bill that would authorize the program at $150 million annually over the next 10 years. The House Natural Resources Subcommittee on Federal Lands recently held a hearing regarding the bill. One of the witnesses, Dr. Stephanie Toothman of the National Park Service, outlined the importance of the program to historic preservation. Dr. Toothman said that fund grants 
have supported nominations of more than 80,000 listings on the National Register of Historic Places and surveys of millions of acres of land for cultural resources. She said that the total fund appropriation to states was nearly $47 million in fiscal year 2015 and that the average grant to states was $795,000. Historic Preservation Fund grants in fiscal year 2015 leveraged more than $29 million in state and local matching funds. Now, another supporter of the reauthorization bill was Elizabeth Hughes, president of the National Conference of State Historic Preservation Officers and director of the Maryland Historical Trust. Hughes testified at the hearing that the Historic Preservation Fund has leveraged $117 billion in private investment through the historic tax credit. Both Hughes and Toothman urged legislators to reauthorize the program as soon as possible. The National Historic Preservation Amendments Act of 2015, or H.R. 2817, was introduced last June and has 31 co-sponsors. To read the bill, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, an advocacy group and a leading solar company each told the IRS that batteries and equipment that store solar energy should qualify for the investment tax credit. The letters were in response to an IRS notice seeking comment on the issue. The Clean Energy Group, a national nonprofit advocacy organization, issued a letter February 12th. The group said that storage devices provide significant benefits beyond the tax credits. Among those benefits are that they can store energy during off-peak times, they reduce utility demand, and they provide reliable backup power during outages. Therefore, the letter says that those devices should be eligible for the tax credit. The group called on the IRS to allow any property where more than half of the energy inputs come from solar sources to qualify for the investment tax credit. Meanwhile, the Duke Energy Corporation said power conditioning equipment should be eligible for the credit. Duke is the largest electric power holding company in the United States. The equipment that Duke Energy said should be eligible includes such things as transformers, wires, and cables. These letters were in response to an IRS request last fall for comments on whether the investment tax credit should be limited to property that actually produces the electricity. The IRS also asked whether energy equipment with dual uses should qualify for the investment tax credit. The request came because Treasury and the IRS anticipate issuing regulations to define what qualifies for the investment tax credit. The terms in the statute were last revised nearly 20 years ago. New regulations would provide clarity for developers and investors in solar projects. Now, the deadline for comment was last Tuesday, February 16th. All comments on the issue are available for the public to read. There's no official timeline for when new regulations may be issued. If you want to read the IRS request for comment, simply go to our website, www.energytaxcredits.com. It's notice 2015-70. And if you have any questions regarding energy tax credits, please contact my partner, Tony Graponi, in our Boston, Massachusetts office. In sad state-level news, an effort to extend New Mexico's rooftop solar tax credit failed last week. The state Senate voted down an effort to attach an eight-year extension of the credit to another bill, leaving the end of this year as the expiration date for the rooftop solar tax credit. The extension was originally introduced as a separate bill in both houses of the legislature and assigned to committees, but they didn't advance. So State Senator Mimi Stewart, who sponsored the original bill in the Senate, attempted to attach it to another bill. That was voted down, 
New Mexico State Solar Credit Program was started in 2006. Taxpayers are eligible for a credit of up to 10% of the cost of a new solar system with a maximum of $9,000 per taxpayer, and there's a statewide annual cap of $2 million on solar thermal systems and $3 million on photovoltaic systems. Legislation to extend the credit passed the legislature last year, but it was pocket-vetoed by Governor Susana Martinez. So, for the second straight year, solar supporters in New Mexico were disappointed in the failure to get an extension. They point out that the solar energy sector employs about 1,600 people in the state and that homeowners invested $31 million in rooftop solar systems last year. But, unless a future legislature reintroduces the credit, the industry must find a way to go forward without a tax credit to spur development. The state tax credit is set to expire December 31, 2016. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. But before we end, I'd like to invite you to register for the Novogratic Initial Lease-Up and Maximizing First-Year Credits webinar this week. The webinar will be this Thursday, February 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and the course will look at several crucial factors of a long-compensing tax credit property's construction completion and initial lease-up that, if ignored or not done properly, could endanger a property's ability to maximize its tax credits. Registration closes tomorrow, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can register at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.